0: filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Thankfully there has been an increased discussion around menopause and its impact on female employees in the workforce in recent years. However, it still remains a challenge for organizations who want to implement effective policies, and effective strategies to support or simply to understand their obligations as employers. So to talk to us about this topic today through the lens of employment law policies and HR obligations, we're delighted to be joined by Sinead Morgan, Senior Associate on the Employment Law Team at RDJ. Thanks for joining us Sinead, how are you?
2: Um, thanks for having me, Owen. Um, it's great to talk to you this morning.
1: Brilliant. And as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary?
2: I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And um, Lovely to have you here,
3: Sinead.
1: Brilliant. So let's jump right in. Sinead, come to yourself first. So as we said, menopause is thankfully something that's coming more into the foreign discussions around the world of work. But can you give us a quick overview of the topic and I suppose set some context uh, for us just in, in this kind of particular area of discussion?
2: Well, it's very fair to say, Owen, that this is coming to the fore now. I think it's been a bit of a taboo subject for many years, just generally and in the workplace. But there's been a lot more discussion of it in the last couple of years. We talk about menopause and we talk about going through the menopause, but from a practical or medical level, menopause has occurred if a woman hasn't had a menstrual cycle for 12 months. But for four to six years before that, it's a period called perimenopause where a woman can have a whole range of symptoms which can affect their health and can affect their productivity at work. And this is something I suppose that hasn't been discussed before. It tends to happen to women between the ages of 45 and 60, but it can also happen to women who are an awful lot younger. So I suppose the difficulty is that it's not a one size fits all kind of scenario. Everyone's situation will be different. It may happen a different time. They may have different symptoms. So not that straightforward. What prompted the conversation around it was a survey in the UK in 2021, which found that 23% of women who had become unwell as a result of menopause had left the workplace. And when you think of it, that's almost a quarter of women between 45 and 60. It's a huge percentage of the workplace. And in circumstances where we currently have a skills gap, that's a big issue for employers. We talked about it in 2021 in Ireland as well. Uh, There was a whole series of live line shows that brought uh, this topic into the spotlight. And then it was incorporated into the government health plan for 2022, 2023. And what they're proposing doing is setting up four specialist clinics for women with complex menopausal symptoms. So yes, I mean, it's very much to the fore now, Owen, which is really, really helpful for inclusivity in the workplace.
1: Brilliant. And Mary, I suppose, for those who aren't fully aware, and not to get too into the medical side of things, but I think it's important to set context. How does this affect an employee who's going through the menopause? I assume it can manifest into sick days, stress, more serious effects, things like that.
3: Absolutely. I mean, the the range of symptoms are so wide and varied. But, you know, probably one of the key ones it affects sleep. And obviously, when you have people who are, you know, up at night with night sweats and things like that and, and unable to sleep, getting up in the morning to attend work and being productive for the full day can be a challenge. And so I, I suppose from an employer perspective, that awareness of the very wide range of symptoms that affect women during perimenopause and menopause and, and even postmenopause is important so that we can equip our managers to deal with these kinds of conversations, but also create a kind of safe environment in which women can talk to their line managers or their colleagues, look for supports or some kind of accommodations at various periods during this particular menopausal journey for them. And then I suppose, is a bit of a tricky one, and I'm really interested to hear from the legal perspective, Sinead, you know, that whole idea of whether or not menopause can be considered a disability in certain circumstances, and I know there may be a couple of cases in the UK that have looked at that whole area. Nothing here yet, as far as I'm aware, but, you know, there are two sides, Uh, one saying, you know, it's a normal natural process, every woman is going to go through it, it's normal aging process, can it really be considered a disability? And I think that's an interesting discussion to have, which probably isn't a very common discussion at this point in
1: time. Absolutely. I think that's was perfect segue so on to my next question, Sinead. Is there any kind of case law of note relating to this? Is there any kind of legal basis for this issue?
2: Well, unsurprisingly, because it's something we haven't talked about, there is little or no case law. There are two cases that, that came before the Labour Court. Now, the, and they're on two different issues. One was a discrimination case based on disability and gender, the other was a discrimination case based on age. So the first one was a case as against the Rotunda Hospital. And in this case, the claimant made a range of claims relating to discrimination based on gender and disability. She alleged victimisation, non-provision of training, failure to provide a reasonable accommodation and harassment But I suppose, um, and on the disability ground, she said that because she was going through menopause, the employer had imputed a disability to her. So she wasn't stating that menopause was a disability, but she was saying it had been imputed to her, which again is one of the, the, it doesn't have to actually be direct, it can be imputed. And the difficulty with this case is, I suppose, that it only came to Labour Court on um, jurisdictional points. So in relation, there were issues raised um, by the respondent in relation to the timing, whether the claims were made in time, went to the Labour Court. Some of the heads of claim have been found to be within time, but now it's been referred back to the Labour Court to make decisions on those points. So do we have a decision on whether it's uh, gendered, Discrimination? No. Do we have a decision on whether it is disability discrimination? No. But what Mary has said is very, very valid. From an, a practitioner's point of view, the definition of disability is incredibly wide. So it's a very long definition, but some of the key points are that it's a total or partial absence of a person's bodily or mental functions, a malfunction of part of a person's body or a condition which affects a person's thought processes, emotions, or judgment. And when you think about hot flushes, brain fog, fatigue, low mood, headaches, certainly you would anticipate that certain women with certain symptoms could prospectively meet that threshold. I personally would be surprised if certain women didn't meet that threshold. But again, case-by-case basis, symptoms differ a lot between different people. The second case was completely different. It was in relation to age. Again, it was in the health arena. It was against the health service executive. Now, the claimant in that case was unsuccessful. She alleged that she'd been discriminated against on age grounds because she was asked about the menopause during an interview. And interestingly enough, the Labour Court said because she wasn't directly asked about age, that discrimination had not occurred. And a lot of people would I suppose, link menopause and age, albeit it's a wide age range. But a couple of key points in that case were that there were a number of candidates across different ages. And there was a candidate who was very close in age to the claimant, but she, in fact, had scored much higher than the claimant had. And when they reviewed the younger versus the older candidates, they couldn't find a correlation that the older candidates who were perhaps going through menopause had been marked down. So, that claimant was unsuccessful. But again, case by case basis, it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. Perhaps the grounds on disability might be an easier case to make given the symptomology and the specific symptoms of an individual. We we see where we go with this one, Owen. it's, It's hard to know.
1: That's it. Absolutely. Mary, any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I I find it hard to believe that someone at interview would ask that question. You know, it would be very interesting to understand the logic behind asking a candidate whether they were uh, going through menopause or not. And I just wonder, is that because that particular organization you know raised awareness of this particular topic and and managers were comfortable talking in this space or you know what would happen because I certainly have never asked anyone at any interview if they were menopausal and in fact i probably wouldn't ask anybody at any interview if they had any disability usually it's something that the candidate themselves discloses during the interview process now there may be requirements in a role for somebody to you know be able to lift certain weights or climb to certain heights or and um, do some of those things that maybe you might ask a question about someone's physical capability but it's kind of hard to you know understand the logic for somebody asking that kind of question but interesting case. And and as you say, Sinead, uh, case by case, it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds over time, because as you say, we're only just starting to discuss it. We had uh, Nicola Wolf on our podcast, either last year or the year before, I think it was last year, talking about menopause. And during that interview, you know, both Nicola and I discussed the fact that, you know, nobody in our lives had ever, ever discussed menopause uh, not my mother not my grandmother not my sisters uh, you know nobody in my life had ever discussed it until that actual interview and so I think over time it'll be interesting to see where this all goes and whether or not there will be successful cases in this area
1: Definitely. It's very interesting to see, I suppose, because again, we're so early on in that journey. It's the case law and the best practices to, is the thing that we'll craft over time. So it would be an interesting one to keep an eye on. I think, Mary, just on the kind of employer best practice kind of side of things, do employers necessarily have to have a menopause policy, Mary, at this stage? And look, if not, it's certainly something that should be considered at least, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think so. I I've had to look at a, a few of the published menopause policies online and you know, they're interesting to see because they don't say a lot. They kind of just regurgitate what potential symptoms people might have. But I do see them as having a value in again creating a safe environment where women feel they can discuss maybe symptoms that are affecting them in the workplace and that's not true of all women who are perimenopausal, menopausal or postmenopausal. So managers do have to be a little bit careful around, you know, their inquiry into menopausal symptoms irrespective of somebody's age. But I do see the policies as having a value from an education and an information perspective, and certainly from raising awareness and helping the organization at large to understand symptoms and, and what might be happening for women and you know back again to that safe environment where somebody if they need accommodations, you know, if if they need to sit near a window or if they, you know, need breaks to for whatever reason if they might need later starts or or whatever the accommodation might potentially be you know i think it's important that those policies are there but again they're new they're early some of them are a little crude and you know w- what what should be contained within them i suppose is is the question
1: mm-hmm, 100% Sinead, it's probably a tough one to to answer because I suppose we're given, given there's minimal kind of case law. And again, as we said, kind of early on the journey, but what are some of the risks to organizations if you do fail to face this, fail to include it in your policies? Is Is there any risks from your perspective that you think organizations might have to face if they don't implement it?
2: Obviously, putting in place a menopause policy, it's not a mandatory policy. You don't have to put it in place. But any time where there are risks of claims, you can decide to mitigate that in a number of different ways. What are the risks? Well, we've seen an age discrimination case. We've seen a gender and disability discrimination case. I think the real risk for employers is if menopause, in general terms, was deemed to be a disability. Well, then the, the obligation would be triggered for the reasonable accommodation, which would have a knock-on effect um, as to how the employers would be. They would be obliged to behave. So, I, I think, like I think, if somebody is unwell in the workplace, a good employer will sit that person down, they'll put them beside the window, they'll get them a cup of tea. There is there is a duty of health and safety to employees generally. But I think the risks in the workplace are generally created by inappropriate behaviour. And in some cases, that can just be managed through awareness. It can be managed through supporting the employees. And arguably, there isn't a requirement or a need to put a menopausal policy in place in every situation. And there are certain mandatory policies that employers do need to put in place, and there's really only a handful of mandatory policies. And a lot of other policies we put in place because it is good practice and it protects the organization. And again, um, as Mary said, you know, there are policies, certain organizations have put them on board. And I suspect a lot of those organizations are possibly female-dominant organizations where there are a large proportion of the, of the workplace are female. A lot of people would say, well, look, if you're in a male-dominant workplace, why would have a menopause policy? But arguably, the awareness of menopause and menopausal symptoms will actually be far worse in that organization than it would be in a female-dominant organization, depending as well on the age range of the females in that organization. So, you know, it is a decision for employers based on the level of risk that they feel that there is. But certainly awareness and support are really important ways of managing that risk, in my experience, because sometimes you don't need a policy if there is enough awareness and there is enough support.
1: 100%. So I think I suppose the big question that we always ask on this podcast, Sinead, and I'll come to yourself, Mary, after, but I'll ask Sinead first. What would be your advice to employers or HR teams who don't know how to kind of get started with this? What can they do? What are the first steps?
2: Well, I think the most important thing t- to do when you're considering, I suppose, a new issue, a new risk is to try and assess in the workplace is this a real issue for us? How can you do that? I mean, you can do that through a temperature check, through uh, internal surveys to assess, is this a concern to people in the workplace? A lot of organizations now do annual surveys where they assess, you know, how, you know, job satisfaction, expectations, equality issues, all sorts of things. And it can be easily incorporated in that kind of a survey to assess, is this an issue or do we think this is an issue in the organization? There's never any harm having an awareness campaign because an awareness campaign just sets the tone as to how you expect people to be treated. Now, some people would argue, look, you know, people should be treated respectfully in the workplace and the dignity of work policy should already protect women in that age range from having inappropriate comments or inappropriate behavior directed towards them. But I do think that temperature check is still really important to assess, is this a real issue in our organization? And based on that, employers can then say, right, what other steps do we need to take? Do we need policy? Do we need training? What other additional steps do, do we need to take, depending on the outcome of maybe those responses?
1: Absolutely. And same question to yourself. Mary anything to, to add or any tips from your point of
2: you. Yeah, I mean, I would echo everything
3: that Sinead has said because it's sensible um, and practical and, you know, can meet the needs of a, a segment of our workforce. But there are also always challenges from a manager perspective and from a HR perspective because. You know, say we have a performance issue, um, and somebody falls back on, you know, I'm going through menopause, or I'm go- I've just gone through menopause, and I'm postmenopausal, and I'm having these symptoms, and you know, again, it comes back then to that reasonable accommodation piece, and you know, what what's the expectation around performance, and so it, there's always two sides to every coin isn't there you know from a reasonable accommodation perspective of course but then from a performance perspective too and let's be real many managers um, have challenges managing performance at the best of times so to equip managers with the skills to actually engage in these discussions is key because you know it's at that point that the risk arises uh, in the clumsy um, commentary in the inappropriate intrusion um, in the maybe not believing what somebody is saying. And that's where the risk arises in every single, um, I I suppose, employer-employee issue is, is in the poor handling of conversations, performance management, disciplinary processes, investigations. That's where the mistakes are typically made. So, yes, it's really important to raise awareness. Yes, it's really important that there's general education of the workforce, but we also have to equip our managers for those conversations and really equip them for for them because it's an area where women are uncomfortable discussing it. And that, you know, while there is awareness, not every woman is comfortable discussing what they might consider deeply personal symptoms related to their ageing Um. Or, or in the case of a younger woman who may be prematurely going through the menopause um, and experiencing symptoms. So not every person is going to be comfortable discussing it. And some people will never bring it into the workplace and never wish to bring it into the workplace. Um, so it's really important that, our managers understand that and that the policies also, if, if you're developing them, if you feel there's a need, as Sinead said, if you checked with the organisation, you've done a temperature check, you've done an employee survey, you feel that there's a need for a policy, what should be in there? What kind of guidance are you actually giving your employees and your managers? What you know, throwing something out which is just simply a list of all the symptoms that somebody might experience and and a, a range of support lines for them to ring. You know, it, it, is is the policy the place for that? So I I think there probably needs to be a little bit more thought. And I'd love to talk to somebody who's. Really thought this through and really come up with something robust and solid in terms of a policy. I haven't seen any of them yet. I haven't seen anything really solid yet, but I think that'll come in time.
1: Absolutely, and it'd be great to see the development of this topic over time. And as you said, it's early on in the journey, but hopefully, podcasts and discussions like this raise some awareness and hopefully set people on the on the right track to to hopefully get started with it, as well if they haven't already. So, a huge thank you to to Mary and Sinead for an insightful discussion, an important discussion. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. And as always for HR consultancy services and management you can trust to get in touch with
0: us today at insighthr.e. Thank you Sinead and thank you Mary. Thanks Owen. Thanks Sinead. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room podcast. The podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, Filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.